Well, good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas, and uh, welcome to Genesis. If you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Luke chapter 2. Uh, it's the second book in the... Or Matthew, Mark, third book in the New Testament, uh, Luke chapter two. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today and would love to follow along with us, there's probably a Bible around the room on the floor near you. And if you wanna take that, you can turn to page 715 there. And uh, we're gonna be reading through some of Luke two today. You all know what it means to re-gift something, right? Everybody kind of get this concept. I, I think we're probably all familiar with it to at least some degree. Like here's how it works. Like let's say somebody gives you a gift, all right? And you open it and because you're polite and all, uh, you immediately, oh, thank you, thank you very much. But what you're really thinking on the inside is, really? Like, you know, I mean, like you look at it and you think to yourself, did, did you try? Like, what, what were you thinking? You know, and like you gave me an errand to run basically when you could have given me $20, you know, and then you realize there's no receipt. And so you're sort of stuck with the gift until the light bulb clicks on and you remember, wait a second, we have an office party next week. I'll just rewrap this gift and I'll pass it along to someone else. Anybody ever re-gifted something before? Be honest, we're in church. Don't lie, no lying in church, all right? We've all, we've all been there. We've all had those times where maybe we received something that we we don't really need or it's not something that we think that we'll ever use, and so we re-gift it on to someone else. But here's the thing, like what if I told you that there are certain gifts that we've received or will receive that are intended to be passed on to other people. Like the concept of this re-gifting that we're talking about here in Genesis, we believe goes as far back as Jesus, all right? And that he demonstrated some wonderful things for us and what it means how we live our lives and what it means to re-gift some of the other gifts we've received onto others. In fact, when Jesus was walking the earth, uh, here, here's what he said to his disciples. And his disciples were the kind of his closest group of people. He was teaching and training them how to live and how to live intentionally in this world. And here's what he said in Matthew 10, verse 8. He says, freely you have received, now freely you will give. Basically, he's about to send them out on assignment, all right? He, he wants them to go out into the world and do for others what he had already done for them. He wants them to go out and love people as he had been loving them. And so he, he sends them out and, and he says, as you go now, I want you to, to give away those things that you've received from me. Really, when you think about it, that's what it means to call yourself a Christian, all right? It, it's so much more than just coming to a place like this on Sundays, as important as that is, but it has, it has everything to do with how we live when we walk out. All right, that, that's what it means to call yourself a follower of Christ. In fact, that's re-gifting at its best. And so you know this, it, that's the goal of our series. And uh, that's what we've been talking about starting last week and again today. I mean, our goal, our challenge would be for every single one of us to go out, you know, even today, all right, the people that we'll come encounter with or, uh, at a restaurant, the, the, if you're going to the Colts game, if, uh, you know, the people at your work tomorrow, where you go to school, the people in your neighborhood, I mean, anywhere you encounter people, really, we want to make it our goal to re-gift some of what the Lord has already done and demonstrated for us. And so last week, Steve opened this series talking about re-gifting hope. Today, I wanna to talk to you about what it means to re-gift joy. Now, joy is a popular term at Christmas, all right? It's a Christmas sort of a word. In fact, just in thinking about this message and driving around all week long, over and over again, you just see the word joy, right? It's, it's everywhere. You know, we put it on our Christmas decorations. It's on all the Christmas cards. And I got to thinking, what is it? You know, I mean, when you think about it, it's almost kind of one of those words that 
that I, I, I think we all sort of know what it is, but really when you think about it, I mean, do we really understand the depths of what joy is all about? And so I found this definition that I really like to share with you here, and here's what one person said about joy. He said, joy is an emotion that comes from the anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something great, something wonderful. And here's what I got to thinking about joy. Like, joy is one of those things that if you have it, well, it naturally has to come out of you. Like, you can only contain it. You can only suppress it so long. I mean, if you, if you really have true joy in you, others are going to see this in you. And we've all had those moments in our lives where maybe the joy in us was mo- more evident than at other times in our lives. Like, like I, I think about, you know, the day that I watched Jenny walk down the aisle on our wedding day. Like, that, w- that was a moment of joy, you know, for me. I, I think about the first cry uh, for each of my three kids on the days that they were born in the delivery room. Like that, that was a, a moment of great and awesome joy. I, I, I think about, you know, witnessing baptisms here at Genesis, you know, and just seeing what it means for people and how the Lord is changing them and just the excitement. Those are moments of, of joy. And, and for me, if I'm just honest with you, I don't, I don't get to come over here every week, uh, you know, spending most Sundays in Noblesville. But man, this is just a joyful time for me to come over and see so many of you that I haven't seen in a while, but just to see how this place is growing and just the influence and, you know, that God's put this campus right here in the middle of Carmel. And, you know, seven, eight years ago, when we were even just thinking about this and praying about this, and now to see, you know, five years later, six years later, you know, what God is doing through this campus, it's a wonderful, awesome thing. For me, it brings a lot of joy, but don't confuse joy with happiness, all right? That, that's where it gets tricky because, and here's the difference, happiness is contingent on our circumstances, Right? I mean, especially when things are going really well. And so, on the one hand, you could say, well, those examples that you offered just a moment ago, aren't those indeed just examples of happiness? Yes. I mean, they, th- that would be true. But, but here's what I'd say about joy joy's different. Joy comes from a deeper place, it comes from a more satisfying place. It's, it's consistent, it, it can hold, you know, even when times are tough. Like, you can find joy present at some funerals. I don't know if you've ever been at a funeral like this. I I had the privilege of leading the funeral for an elderly woman about a month ago. She was in her 80s. She attended Genesis Noblesville with her family, and her funeral was more of a celebration, right? I mean, it, it, it was a party. I mean, we had, we had a great time. It was wonderful. And there were tears, no doubt, but there, there was so much joy there knowing that her struggle on earth was done because it had been some tough years for her, knowing that this wasn't the end, but really in the beginning of her time with the Lord for eternity. And uh, there was just deep joy there because people knew that she loved Jesus more than anything in this world. And uh, so really it was a victory. There was, again, there was just a lot of satisfaction and joy in knowing that she was with the Lord. And so joy, well, joy can be found even in the pain. And it's hard at times and, you know, pain wants to push joy away. But, but if we reflect on it, if we really go back to, you know, if you're following Christ, what matters the most and what changes everything, the hope that we have, well, that's, that's a real lasting joy again, that comes from something greater. And so that's what I wanna talk about today. I wanna talk to you about joy and where it comes from, and then this, and and this is just as important, but if we have it, well, the responsibility that we have to give it away, all right? We we have to share joy with others. And so pray with me, uh, and then we'll get into Luke 2. Father in heaven, thanks for this time today. Thanks for what you're doing here in Carmel, for every person that's here today with us, Lord, and thanks for, thank you for joy. And uh, Father, I, I know that's a, a word we can just kind of easily throw around, but I, I pray that you would do something very special for us today uh, in each of us, God, and reminding of what matters most and what's most important. And maybe for that person here today that's brand new to all of this, that maybe 
today would just be another step for them uh, in getting to know you and understanding who you are and how uh, and just just what you can do for us and and what you can do for all of life. And so guide us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2 together. Luke was a historian, and he wrote very specifically and intentionally. In fact, if you study Luke and if you study uh, historical writings, Luke is given a lot of credit because he wrote, again, intentionally. His writings were well-respected because of the details that he included. And in Luke 2 verse 1, he records for us what we often refer to as the Christmas story. And look what he says, verse 1, he says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this was the first census that took place while Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And here's what he says, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, when we talk about Caesar Augustus here, if you know your history, we're talking about Octavian Caesar Augustus, ruler of the entire Roman world. He was the adopted son, nephew actually, great nephew of Julius Caesar. And Octavian was born a real fighter who clawed his way to power by defeating other important figures like Mark Antony and Cleopatra, and he was the first Caesar to be given the title Augustus, and that's significant because the word Augustus means holy. It means revered one, and in fact, it was under Caesar uh, Augustus' rule that decisive strides were taken toward making the Caesars gods, all right? And they wanted everyone to believe that they indeed were gods, and so history records that Caesar Augustus was described as as the son of God, Uh, you know, the, the son of, again, Julius Caesar himself, that things were written about him, that he would be the one that would bring peace on earth, that he would lead, his rule would lead to salvation for all of humanity, that, that people's mistakes could be forgiven, their sins could be forgiven, and indeed, and so far as to say that he is savior and Lord of all. Sound familiar at all? Like this is the world that Jesus was born into. And Caesar Augustus decided at this point in history that it was time for a census to be taken. And a census had one purpose. You took a census to count people and to register them for the sake of taxes, all right? Taxes more than anything. And it didn't matter who you were, where you lived, or what your physical condition was. You had to participate in the census by going to your hometown to be counted. Joseph was from Bethlehem. They are returning to Bethlehem to be counted. Now, we might think to ourselves, what's the big deal? Taxes are just a part of life. One Roman historian by the name of Lactantius once described the horrible nature of a census. Here's what he said. He writes, the greatest public calamity and general sorrow was the census imposed on the provinces and cities. The census takers appeared everywhere and produced tumult wherever they went. The fields were measured clod by clod, every grapevine and fruit tree counted, every head of livestock of every kind was listed, the exact number of people noted, and in the autonomous cities, the urban and the rural population were herded together until the marketplaces were filled with the collected families. All came with their whole band of children Children and slaves. He writes, everyone was heard, everywhere was heard the screaming, get this, of those who were being interrogated with torture and beatings. Sons were forced to testify against their fathers, the trustiest slaves driven to bear witness against their masters and wives against their husbands. When all other means had been exhausted, the victims were tortured until they gave evidence against themselves, and when pain had at last conquered, taxable property that did not exist was registered. The point is this, the census was cruel, 
corrupt and unfair. And this is a glimpse of the world that Mary and Joseph were living in and the world that Jesus would be born into. Verse four, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. There's a map here on the screen. And if you look to the top far left, you can see uh, Nazareth there. Again, this is Israel. And uh, Mary and Joseph would have had to travel to the east or to the right on the screen and come down that squiggly little line, also known as the Jordan River, to the Dead Sea before turning westward and traveling up because the elevation goes up. I was there a couple of summers ago. You come down the Jordan River by bus and you make the turn there where Bethany is and you literally hear the engine of the van hit the higher gear because it is an upward elevation towards Bethlehem. And that's where Mary and Joseph went, a 100-mile journey. Uh, would take anywhere from five to 10 days, but when you're traveling with a pregnant woman and likely on something like a donkey, it might take a little while longer. And if you've given birth before, I haven't. Uh, you probably understand why. But I did get to thinking about the significance of this. When our first son was born, Joel, he's 15 now, uh, we were living in Michigan, and uh, it was a May day. It was a Thursday, and we were close to the due date. We had gone to the doctor that morning, and the doctor said, hey, I, th I think you're close. You know, like it may be a matter of a week, maybe a few days. And so, believe it or not, as the day progressed, and even as we got into the afternoon, the contractions were really starting to pick up for Jenny. And she's like, you know, I, I don't know. This might be it. Like, we, we might be going to the hospital today or tomorrow or this weekend or something. Now, here's what I was thinking. That I was excited but I also had a softball game that night, all right? And I love to play softball. I played a lot of softball at the time, but I just kind of kept it to myself. And I thought, well, what, what do I do about this softball game now? And sure enough, the later in the afternoon came along and Jenny finally said, well, are you, are you going to your game tonight? Now I'm thinking, is this a trick question? Because that's not fair, right? I mean, she testing me to see if I know what the right answer is. I'm like, softball game, I'm not going. I mean, if you're not feeling well, she was like, no, just go to your game. I mean, it'll be fine. You won't be gone for very long. You know, if I need you, I'll call you. And so, well, I did. I went to my game around six o'clock some buddies. And I remember checking in with her like after the first inning. She's like, well, you know, actually the contractions are picking up a little bit, but I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Second inning called her again. Well, you know, they're getting a little worse. I'm a little uncomfortable, but you're fine. Finish the game, then come home. Third inning, fourth, fifth inning, I called her and she's like, you need to come home, right? Like you need, it's time to go to the hospital. Well, thankfully we lost by the 10 run rule. All right. And so we're rushing home. My buddies and I, they dropped me off at the house. I race in. I had been playing softball, so I had to take a shower real quick. I mean, if we're going to the hospital, all right? But it only took like 30 seconds, kid, no kidding. I, we got in the car. We live two blocks from the hospital. No joke. That two-block drive, I know for Jenny was the most painful. Every bump, every little speed bump, every turn, all right? But for me as well, just the tension of like, okay, don't, don't hurt your wife. We got to the hospital. It was probably about 7.30. She didn't have the baby to like two, right? I mean, we had plenty of time. I don't know what the rush was, all right? But, but again, you know, like I remember how tense even that short bit of time, that short drive was. Imagine making a 100-mile journey to Bethlehem. Look what Luke says, verse six. He says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now, when did the time come? Was it a few minutes? Was it a few hours? Was it a few weeks? We don't really know. We don't really know. It just says the time had come. But here's what we do know, that at some point while they were there, verse seven, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And so picture Mary and Joseph here. 
and they place their brand new baby boy. And not just that, but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world in a feeding trough. All right, this is where they put him. And what an what a incredible picture, really, of everything that we know Jesus to be and what we hope for in him, that even though he was the very nature of God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He became a servant. Even in his birth, we have this picture of a servant who has come. Verse 8 There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now, shepherding was tough, difficult work. You spent all day, all night long, out under the sun, under the stars. Again, it's rugged, dirty work, and you got to be willing to fight for every sheep, you know, and your protection over them. We're going to, we'll study this a little bit more in a couple of weeks. We're going to spend six weeks working through Psalm 23. We're going to talk a lot more about shepherding and, and sheep. It, it'll be fascinating. But, but here are the shepherds. Jesus come, or the, the angel comes to them. Again, verse nine, uh, it says, and an, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were what? They were terrified, right? Let's hang on those words. They, they were terrified. In fact, he continues in verse 10. The angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will what? Cause great joy for all the people. The angel says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. Now think about, if you would, the significance of this moment with me. And uh, I mean, I just think about my Bible. You think about your Bible if you're familiar with your Bible at all, we know that it's divided into two parts. There's the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. And you think about the difference between the Older Testament and the New Testament, we're talking about one page, all right? That's not a, a big deal to us. I can easily turn from the Older Testament to the Newer Testament in one page. But understand what this meant for those living at this time, because for them, the difference between the Older Testament and the Newer Testament, which didn't make sense then at that point in history, was actually 400 years. We often refer to this as the intertestamental period, and there's a lot from history that you can read about this period. There's not a lot in our scripture about it, but you can study it in history, but it was during this 400-year window that we know that God was often silent, if you would, that there were no new prophetic revelations during this time. And so for the people living then, it was a brutal 400-year stretch. They were conquered by the Persians, eventually by the Greeks, and then Rome in 63. BC, where Rome uh, finally was kind of taking over the world, including Israel. And so for over 400 years, Israel was occupied by a foreign power, and that's on top of an already chaotic history of occupation and exile and defeat. And so here's the point I want to try and make. Through all of this, you know that people, people who had, had put all of their devotion in God and who were waiting on a Savior, had to be wondering to themselves, where is he? Like, is this really true? Are we all just caught up into something that doesn't even matter, never will really happen? Have we all been fooled? I mean, at what point, you know, were people thinking to themselves, this is never going to happen? At what point would you want to walk away, give up, or take matters into your own hands? It's interesting because life's like that, isn't it? I mean, I've been around church, I've been around faith all of my life, and it ain't always fun. And there are difficult times and there are difficult seasons, and some of you know that so well because you've been through the worst. And maybe, in fact, for some of you today, you're here this morning and you wonder if it could get worse or you're afraid that it could get, you know, and just one more 
piece of news or one more report? And are you going to be able to continue hanging in there? And when those types of, when we go through those types of things, when we go through those sorts of valleys, we ask, you know, where's God? And when's my breakthrough coming? Is this even real? Do I even believe this anymore? I mean, people had to be thinking these things. They're for real people. Like they're human beings just as we are. And then one night, everything changes. And we have the advantage of looking back on history. All right, we have the advantage of looking back to what had happened. The Apostle Paul described the significance of the birth of Christ this way in Galatians chapter four, verse four. I love this. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. I love those words. When the set time, when the, when the time set had fully come, God sent his son to earth. Why now? Well, that question is sort of unanswerable to some degrees for us, except that God knew the time was right. This is it. This is the moment. This is what I've been waiting for, the moment I've ordained. And God set the date, and he picked the moment, the perfect moment to send his son. I've heard it said like this. I love this. Not early, not late, always right on time. And the same is true for us. In fact, be encouraged today, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever you find yourself waiting for God to do, he may not be early, all right? He may not be early. He will not be late. He's always right on time. Not my time. Unfortunately, there are times where I wish it was my timing, right? I think we all think that, but his time. Verse 12, the angel says, this will be a sign to you. Again, talking to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Again, we know and we believe and we put our hope in the fact that the Savior had come and that his entrance 2,000 years ago was gonna make all of the difference for a world that was desperate. They were desperate for answers. They were desperate for joy. And I wanna suggest to you today that 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. All right, we still have that same desperation. We still have that same hope. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down if you would today. Lasting joy, all right, real joy is only found in Jesus Christ. I mean, everything else is temporary, all right? And the Lord has given us a lot of wonderful things and they're gifts from him and they're wonderful blessings. But our only true and lasting joy is found in Jesus because here's the deal. Jesus wasn't born, but he grew up. In fact, we often like to say that he lived life the way life was intended to be lived and he lived it without sin and he fulfilled all of the prophecies of the coming Messiah uh, from the Old Testament prophecies that are found in places like Isaiah 53, which describe a savior that would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that we deserve that brought us peace was placed upon him and by his wounds we are healed. And that's exactly what happened for you and me in Jesus' death and his resurrection, that his sinless life, all right, his sinless life that made him perfect, because of that, he was able to be the spotless sacrifice for your sins and mine. It's what the Apostle Paul is describing in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, when he says that God was reconciling the world to himself beginning this process of putting the pieces together again to make the world as he intended it to be, not counting people's sins against him. Paul also says that God made him who knew no sin, he's talking about Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we can be the righteousness of God. And here's the advantage again that we have as followers of Christ. We have the knowledge, all right, that Jesus wasn't born as great as that is, that he didn't just die as amazing as that is, but that he rose from the dead. And in doing so, he has promised to us that he will one day return. He is coming again. 
And for those of you that have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, well, you can have the joy and knowing that the Lord is your savior and that he's coming again. You know, John, the disciple John tells us in Revelation 21 that the return of Jesus will mark the moment of an eternal kingdom where there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more death, no more mourning, and that Jesus will wipe away every tear from every eye. And the best part is that we will live with him forever. And if knowing that doesn't fill us with lasting joy, well, what I'm saying is that nothing will. Nothing can, nothing can deliver in the same way that joy can because lasting joy is only found in Jesus. And so that's gotta be our hope and that's where our anticipation must be. And not only that we have a savior, but the reality that he is coming again. He will return. And so we approach this Christmas season. That's really what Advent is all about. It's the anticipation. It's the waiting. We're just playing it over and over again in our minds that he came, he came, and he will return. And so we celebrate not only his birth, but we look forward to his return. And that's what causes our joy to well up in us. Again, it's not enough, though, to know that joy and to possess it for ourselves. But here's the responsibility you have. This is on us, okay? And if you've put your trust in Christ, this is what is true of you. It's our responsibility as often as much as possible to re-gift that joy for other people. Again, if it's real, it's gonna come out. It's gonna come out naturally. Sometimes we gotta be intentional about it, all right, just to get it working, right? But if that joy is in us, it has to come out and people are gonna see it in things like our time and our generosity and our compassion. But what I wanna challenge you with today, again, this is in your notes, is I wanna challenge you to re-gift joy by sharing your story. Don't be afraid to share your story of what Christ is doing in you. In fact, I would ask, do, do people see it in you? You know, just even as you think about your own life and your own circumstances, anywhere you're around people right now, do they, do they see something in you? Uh, do they see something different in your life? Have you ever been asked a question? Why is it that you have so much joy? Or why is it that even when things are hard or when, you know, we find ourselves in an anxious time here at this company that you just, you see something else, right? That, that you're not perfect, all right? I'm not perfect, all right? I'm not gonna have a great day every day, all right? But, but I'm hanging on to something else. And so are you ready to do that? I, I guarantee you those shepherds who saw the angel and saw the child laying there in the manger had a story to tell for the rest of their lives. In fact, Luke recorded this, verse 17. He says, when they had seen him, the shepherds, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And so they went out and they regifted joy by telling them what they had experienced in God. Can I suggest a, a really simple tool that every one of us can use in these moments? It's what we sometimes refer to as a my way back story here at Genesis. We did a, a series about this last spring. You could find it on our, our podcast list. We spent three weeks talking about your my way back story, my way back story, that if you're in Christ, if you've put your trust in the Lord, you've got a story. You've got an incredible story of how God drew you to himself and how he changed you, like that moment that it clicked for you that you made a decision to put your trust in him and how he's working in you ever since. And that's a, a story for all of us. It's full of ups and downs. But again, when we, when we see it, when we really understand what Christ has done for us, well, we're not gonna be able to help but let that joy come out. And so I'm just wondering, like, what if we made it our goal, every single one of us? What if it was our prayer every morning? You know, God, give me the opportunity to share my story with somebody today in some way. Like, what if every one of us did that? Like, what could happen here? What could the Lord do here in our own community 
through every single one of us sharing our story. Again, this is what Christ has done for me. This is his strength in my most difficult times. This is his redemption and forgiveness when I found my life off track. He's my hope and my joy. And if this is new to you and you've never shared your story, like what if you made it your goal to share your story with one person over the course of this next week? In fact, would you pray that today? Like, would you be so bold before you walk out of here to just pray, Lord, give me an opportunity to share my story with one person this week. And I'll just say this, that God can also use your story of, of, of what he's doing in your life here through Genesis Church and maybe how you're finding yourself as a greater part of this family. Maybe he gives you an opportunity to talk to a friend or a family member or a neighbor about you know, what he's doing in your kids' lives or what you know, your student is finding in a student ministry here at Genesis. And, and again, like our story, like what if you made it your goal this week to invite at least one person at least one person to one of our services next weekend. In fact, that's why we have these invite cards, all right? And they're by the doors on your way out to us. Uh, they're no good to us after today, right? And so take as many of them uh, as you'd like. But, you know, one of the really simple ways that we can make an invite, have a conversation, is through one of these cards. And we know statistically that Christmas is one of those times that people are more likely to say yes to your invitation than to any other time of the year. And so would you pray? Would you be so bold, you know? Might God work through you? Maybe is there somebody in your life? Would you be willing to pray today? God, would you put somebody in my life this week that I can invite to one of our services? Again, if you've experienced joy, it's gonna come out and people's gonna, people are gonna see it in your life, right? And so we need to share it with others. And listen, we don't know the day that Christ is going to return, but we hang on to the promise that he's going to come again. And we also know that we have a God that doesn't want anyone to perish. He is patient, as the scriptures say, waiting for every person, you know, who will and who is going to come to the Lord, that they will indeed come. But again, we're a part of that story. That's why our mission is helping people find their way back to God. He wants to use you. He's using me. He wants to use me in greater ways. And again, while we don't know when it will happen, we know it could be soon. And so my question for you today, for some of you today, maybe isn't, are you ready to share your story? But are you ready? Like, are, are you ready for that moment when, when he will return? Have you, have you put your trust in him? Because that's what matters most. That's the most important decision you could ever make in your life and to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And the scriptures say that we can do that by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And, and maybe you'd like to talk a little bit more about that today. Maybe you're ready to take a step in that way or maybe you just got some questions about how that works. We'll be up front afterwards. We'd love to talk. Maybe there's somebody that invited you that you're here with today and they've been telling you their story and encouraging you to come. And, and maybe today's the day you guys go out for lunch. Let them buy, right? Let them take you out to lunch and you just say, hey, you've been telling me about this or that. I need to know, what was he talking about? What does it mean for me to put my trust in the Lord? And again, we'd, we'll be up front afterwards. We'd love to talk or pray with you. And again, if you're trusting Christ, like what's it gonna take for that joy to come alive in each of us? I'll end with this. We, uh, my family, we went to Fort Wayne yesterday to my in-laws and spent the day celebrating Christmas with, with family there. And uh, my brother-in-law and his wife and two kids were there and, uh, and we love them. We love them dearly. And uh, three years ago, I think I have that right. Um, well, we all had no idea what was about to come to their home um, because within a couple of months after Christmas, the word would get out that he had a substance addiction and it was bad. 
it was really bad. And they're, they're good people, but they had really just never demonstrated a need for the Lord. We're not a part of a church and we're just kind of going through the motions of, of life. And, and that was a tough year for them uh, as he got professional help. And well, eventually they came back together and eventually they decided to check out a church in their community. Now it's been almost three years. They've both uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law have trusted Christ, taken that step. They both have been baptized. My brother-in-law, three years later and still sober, uh, works in schools uh, in the afternoon mentoring kids. The, the, I think he would say that that's, that's the joy coming out. I've, I've been changed forever. I got to give it away. Like I got to make sense of the past you know, and what Christ has done in me. And my sister-in-law and brother, they're both discipling people now. And I think one of the sweetest moments yesterday was when their seven-year-old son prayed for lunch. And it was just a powerful moment. My wife and I talked about it later. And for the both of us, it was just, ah, the joy. The joy that Jesus changes things. And that for our God, he's, unfortunately, he's not early, but he's never late. He's just right on time. And he's been right on time in their lives. And he was right on time for us yesterday. And I pray he's right on time for you today to keep going, to keep trusting, keep your faith in him. He's not done yet. And he can do even more, immeasurably more for each of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and how that changes everything. Everything changes because of the birth of Christ. And we have this hope and we have this joy. And I know I've been guilty of suppressing that joy and forgetting about that joy. And I pray that today would just be a day that just kind of sets that on fire in me and for each of us, that no matter what we go through, our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the reality that we have Christ, we have purpose, we have eternal life and can have eternal life through him. And that he's coming again. He's coming again, Lord, help us to keep our heads up, to keep trusting, to keep believing, to keep moving and to keep sharing that joy with others. We thank you. We want to celebrate you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.